all the way over to Genesis chapter 1. <laughs> you can't find this one, guys. You're, you don't know how to handle the Bible very well. Genesis chapter 1. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the day. We thank you for your grace and mercy that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this time together today as your church. And Father, we just pray today that you'd be with us, that you'd be among us, that you might teach us, that you might lift our hearts and our minds to be able to understand, and that you might reveal your truth to us, that you might uh, encourage us, that you might establish us in the faith, Lord, that you might uh, give us an understanding of the things said and that we might, in all things, find Christ in it. Lord, we pray that you just might uh, exalt your Son through our worship today. And uh, we are so grateful. I pray, Lord, that you would help me now, give me utterance as I uh, look at these things in the Scripture. And, Father, I pray that you would feed your people and that you would encourage them, edify them uh, by your word. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, I can't sing. Well, I say I can't sing. It seems as though the Lord has got had me in this kind of a path, this kind of a uh, I don't want to say a rut, but uh, has got me in this lane uh, over the last few weeks as we've been talking about the difference between physical and spiritual, right? Uh, the uh, the difference or the dichotomy between those things which are given to us in the physical and those things that we see as the reality as it pertains to the spirit. And as I've mentioned in, in messages past and everything, uh, we are, as the children of God, a spiritual people and a physical people. Okay? That's the that's the strange thing. Now the reprobates are just a physical person. Okay, they are a natural person. Let me get, use that term. That's probably more uh, biblical uh, term than we that we should use. They're a just a natural person. They have a natural body. They have a natural soul, natural spirit. Uh, okay, they they are natural. However, for the child of grace, we have two men. In us, we have the natural man, and we have the spiritual man. One we get from Adam. One we get from the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I've taught in times past, and you guys have heard me mention this on many occasions, not just in specific sermons, but you guys have heard me mention this all the time uh, about the two seeds. We know that there are two seeds, and this used to be a very um, common teaching throughout Scripture uh, or throughout uh, history uh, in the churches of Jesus Christ. Um, they used to teach these things. Um, they used to teach eternal vital union. Uh, matter of fact, I've got a couple of books down here. I can break these things out and all they are is old circular letters from the 17-1800s. And if you look down through the table of contents, you'll see out of probably 50 circular letters, a third or a half of them are on eternal vital union. And it's just amazing how these uh, teachings over the years have become less and less and less of an importance, becoming more, uh, uh, more uh, diminished 
in the minds and the and the preaching. Uh, however, I believe the true churches of God, they still hold to these things, they still believe these things, and it is a source of comfort for them. <clears throat> but in this teaching between the physical and the spiritual, we find that um, it all is based uh, from the very beginning in God and how He set up the creative order, how He set up everything in creation. Uh, here in Genesis chapter 1, we find a principle, and I've mentioned this to you guys before, and I know it's not nothing new. You've heard this, and uh, I don't ever, pre I don't ever uh, uh, claim to preach something new. Uh, everything I, I hope that I preach is old, <laughs> uh, that has already been preached, that is in the Bible. And if it's not, I, you know, I, I, I pray that the Lord would, uh, would uh, give me clear, uh, clarity on that or give revelation to that. But in Genesis chapter 1, we find a principle found that is uh, an underlying thing, not only of the natural world, but also of the spiritual. And I think we can see this. Now, I mentioned to you, I, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before last, whenever it was, but I mentioned that there was a comment that had come up where a guy had asked, is there any way that you can prove a spiritual kingdom uh, from just through the Old Testament? Well, we talked about last week, we talked about the spiritual kingdom, and mostly was in the New Testament, but that we learned that the New Testament is the revelation or the fuller understanding of those things that are concealed in the Old Testament. The mystery of the things that are found in the Old Testament are fully opened up and revealed to us in the New Testament. And we learned that the spiritual kingdom of God is not something that comes with observation, it's not something that is tangible, and that it truly was a spiritual kingdom. And we learned a few weeks before that, that the Israel of God, the true Israel of God, is a spiritual people. Uh, it's not the physical people that are counted as uh, the people of God, but it is the spiritual people. And so the... the the uh, question, or maybe the the uh, challenge, was: Is can you show this spiritual Israel, this spiritual kingdom, just preaching from the Old Testament? Uh, because that's all those people back there had available to them. So how would they know that? Now, as I mentioned last week, we don't have to have just the Old Testament to do that, because as we learned last week, God sent Christ. The, the law and the prophets were until John. But whenever John came, he came preaching the kingdom of God, preparing a people for Christ. And when Christ began preaching, he also preached the kingdom of God that was at hand. And we've seen that he began to preach this spiritual kingdom that was completely and totally contradictory, it seemed, to what they had learned and understood. Those people had assume that Messiah was coming to set up a physical kingdom where they would be rulers among the nations. But yet, as we learn, Jesus came and preached and said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. And that, that, that I have servants in this spiritual kingdom and they are serving in a spiritual way, not in a physical way. Okay? So, with that being said... <coughs> We see that there was a spiritual kingdom with a spiritual people, but can we see that in the Old Testament? 
And I think we can. I think we can. And I, I mentioned that, you know, I may come back and deal with that later. And hopefully, Lord willing, that's what we'll see today. In Genesis chapter 1, uh, now I'm going to lay down some smarty pants language here. Uh, we've all heard of, probably I'm sure, I've mentioned it to you before and everything, the law of first occurrence. Okay? What the law of first occurrence is, is whenever you, in the scriptures, whenever you come upon a subject matter or a word or a term, the first time it's used in the scripture, whenever we learn how that's used there and everything, a lot of times that drives home how our understanding should be about that as it goes on throughout the scriptures. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that that's cut and dry on everything. I'm not saying that that is something that the Bible even teaches, all right? That's just what smarty people say. And I think a lot of times, though there is a lot of validity in some of that, and you can see that as you study Scripture, you can see a lot of times when something is laid down in Scripture for the first time as God reveals that to us, that that theme of that carries through throughout the rest of Scripture. Um, but as with anything, we got to keep everything within its context. So, you know, we can't just lay a blanket <laughs> statement and go with it, right? Well, here in Genesis, we find this, and if you would, look at verse uh, 11. It says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, <coughs> whose seed is in itself, Upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven. I'm sorry, let's drop down um, to verse 20. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly upon the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created quails and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind. <coughs> Excuse me. And every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning was the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and of the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, created he him, male and female, created he them. Now, God created Adam, right? But it says here he created them, male and female. But yet, 
There was only one standing there when God created, right? Whenever He created man. He created man and fashioned him out of the dust of the earth. And once He fashioned this man into this body out of the dust of the earth, the Bible says that He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that man became a living soul. It didn't say He became a spiritual, spiritually alive person okay, with the divine life in Him. It just says that He became a living soul. You're a living soul. I'm a living soul. Everybody who is ever born who comes alive is a living soul. Okay? That dog over there is alive. It's a living soul. Okay? It has, it has life in it. Now, as we've seen here, something that God laid down as a principle is that everything that God created in this natural realm was created with its seed in itself and it reproduces after its kind. And Adam, the last to be created here, was created male and female, but yet there only stood one. And, it stood, and he stood as a male. Now we know the Bible teaches that Adam was the first Adam. He was the figure of him that was to come. Scriptures declare that Adam was a figure or a type or a, uh, 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 a foreshadowing of the Adam that was to come, the second Adam, or, or the, yeah, the second Adam, which was Christ Jesus. So he was a figure of him that was to come. And so we see here there's a picture of the natural but it is showing the reality of the spiritual. With your finger held right there, and, and by the way, just so that we're not mistaken, we do know that um, over in uh, Genesis chapter 5, that Adam reproduced after his time, it says, this is the book, uh, Genesis 5.1, This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. Adam reproduced after his kind. His seed was in him, and he reproduced after his kind. A natural man produced a natural child in his likeness. Now, Adam was created in the likeness, not in the exactness, but in the likeness of God. Now, a lot of people say, well, he's made mind, emotion, and will, body, soul, and spirit, all that kind of stuff. Now, I will say this, and, and many people have heard me teach on this before as well. I hold that the likeness is a two-part uh, a, a two thing. Number one, I believe that likeness is talking about the actual body form, the human form, okay? That that was created uh, after the likeness of Christ. Christ, uh, Christ, uh, eternal uh, uh, manhood. But I also believe that it represents Christ 
with his bride united with him before the foundation of the world. That we were found in Christ before the foundation of the world. And so we see here Adam was created, although he stood alone as one, his seed and his bride was in him, and all the <laughs> blessings that God gave to man, to Adam, everyone that was in Adam received that same blessing. They were blessed. Eve was blessed because she was in Adam. Now Eve had not come forth. It had not been made manifest. She was not there standing with them when God blessed Adam. She was not even brought out. God had not reached in and took the rib out of Adam and created Eve and made Eve a living person out of Adam. Eve was derived out of Adam from the life of Adam that God created Adam. Eve was created in the same uh, natural way that Adam, uh, the same natural life that Adam had. Okay? So Eve was in, uh, in Adam blessed even though she was not manifested yet, had not come forth, had not become a living person, so to speak, had not become a living person at all. She had been blessed because she was united in her husband, Adam. And it's in this likeness that we see the, Christ, uh, the Lord Jesus, the second Adam, that all of His seed in Him are truly in Him. That's where we get the term eternal vital union. See, some people will say, well, we're united with Christ, and they believe that that happens sometime in time, whether we believe, or whether when we're born again, or whether it was at the cross we were united to Christ. But brethren, the Bible says that we were in Him before the foundation of the world. And this union is not only a true union, meaning that, that we are one with Him, that's what union means, that we're one with Him, but it also shows us that that union is eternal because it began before the foundation of the world. So that life that we have as the seed of Christ, which I would say has to be a spiritual seed, it's not a physical seed, but anyway... We see that that life is an eternal life. And truly, if it is life that is given to us, then it's a vital, it's a real, true union. It's a, it's a living union. Not just something in the mind of God, but it is a true union. Now that union comes in its life, and I don't want to use the word force, but in its life substance. When Adam was blessed and was created, and then even whenever Adam fell, all of his seed, all of the life that would ever come from Adam, was all affected in that, right? Every person that has ever been born from the time Adam was created are all natural, are all unable to keep the law of God, are all uh, sinners, are all... Just physical people, right? So that has passed down. Now, same thing on the spiritual side. In Christ Jesus was His life, the substance of life. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Him is life, right? He is eternal life. He is life. And that life we had in Him before the foundation of the world. 
Um, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit on that. <clears throat> the principle here is everything reproduces after its own kind. And so in the natural, Adam reproduced after his kind. Therefore, that's why we have a world full of sinners, natural men and women, children. In the spiritual, the second Adam has reproduced. With your hand there in Genesis, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I know there may be some there that's listening that says, what do you mean that Adam wasn't created a spiritually alive person? Ain't that what the fall was? I would say no. I can't find that anywhere in Scripture that Adam's fall... Well, number one, we never hear anywhere where the Bible calls what happened with Adam the fall. Uh, That's just a theological term that we have used, not saying that there wasn't something that happened there. But uh, what happened whenever Adam fell if you want to use that terminology, is he fell into sin and death. That's what happened in the fall. Adam didn't fall from a spiritually live person to a spiritually dead person. He, The Bible says that he is a natural, physical person of the dust, of the earth, earthy, that this man was created in that way, already spiritually dead, to the things of God, yet it had not been made manifest yet. Okay, It hadn't been made manifest. That's why Romans chapter 5 says, the law came in that the offense might abound. The law came in to magnify or to show forth, manifest, that which was already in Adam. James says that, that we are drawn away whenever we, whenever we are tempted, we are drawn away by our own lust, and whenever we... Uh, uh, whenever that lust conceives, it brings forth, or whenever that lust conceives, we are tempted, and we, whenever we are tempted, and we, uh, and that conceives, that brings forth sin, right? Well, that's exactly what happened with, with Adam. Adam brought forth that which was, or excuse me, the law brought forth that which was already in Adam that had yet to be seen outwardly, but was already there. The fact that Adam could not keep the law of God. He had lust within his heart. He desired that which was forbidden. He was drawn against that. And whenever that temptation was presented to him, he lusted after it. It conceived in his heart. He followed after it. And whenever he did, he fell into sin and he fell into death. uh, The Lord said that in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And Adam did die. And the Bible says, in the wording there, uh, in dying ye shall die, is what that word means. In dying you shall die. And a lot of people say, well, there you go. That's He died spiritually because in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die in that day. So he didn't die physically, so it must have been a spiritual death. Well, they didn't say he died a spiritual death. So how does it have to be that? I mean, I can say that, you know, he died to sugar cookies. You know, he didn't want to eat sugar cookies anymore. That's just as much evident as saying he spiritually died there. I mean, you can't find that anywhere. It said that in dying he shall die. What happened whenever Adam ate of the tree? Well, number one, he died to his innocency. He died to the fact that he had not yet sinned. 
in that day he died to everything that that he was up to that point. He died to that, and now sin and death had entered in. And in that dying, he began to die physically. And also in dying, he brought forth death upon everyone else. In dying, you shall die. Your posterity is going to die. Every Everyone in you is going to die. And brethren, if that's not the, the, the uh, experience of everybody that's ever come from Adam, I've not met anybody except for a couple of men who the Bible claims that never died. Every man has died. The moment that we are born, we are born dying. In dying, we die. And so yes, we are dead in trespasses and sin. We are dead to all things that, that is righteousness and holy. We're dead in all that. We cannot provide anything. We cannot do anything. We are not anything. And so Adam, whenever he sinned, that sin, whenever it came in, brought forth death. And that is in a physical way. It's a physical thing that we're talking about here. It brought forth a physical death. Why? Because he was of the earth earthy. He was made natural. He wasn't made spiritual. Now, again, I know some people may disagree with me on that, but I again, I will challenge you to look. There is no scriptures that says that he fell spiritually, but we do have scripture that says he was not made spiritual. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse, uh, verse 40, 45, it says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first, which is spiritual. So no matter what the argument is or the theological construct that you might have, it clearly says here, and I'm going to have to go with what I see clearly and not rely on what is given by tradition, it says that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And after that which is spiritual, the first man, Adam, is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. This goes back to that first principle. That everything has its seed within itself and it reproduces after its own kind. The natural man was made natural and was made to die. The natural man was made natural and was made so that sin and death would enter into the world. Go back to the very purpose of God. What was the purpose of God and, and the declaration of God before the foundation of the world? Before the foundation of the world, God chose a people, and by the way, I'd like to make this very clear, God chose a people in Christ. He didn't choose a people in Adam. 
the infralapsarians, if you want another smarty pants word, the infralapsarians are those who believe that the election of people <coughs> happened after the fall. That's what infralapsarian means. It means that God chose people uh, and elected people to salvation after Adam fell. We, on the other hand, would be the other smarty pants word, superlapsarian, meaning that God chose the people before the fall. So if God chose the people before the fall, He chose the people that would fall, right? He chose the people before the fall, but God also chose the fall. God chose the fall to happen. It was in His purpose. But if God chose before the foundation of the world a people to save and had a Christ already prepared and brought forth from eternity, had brought forth this Christ, brought forth this surety, this mediator, who took upon himself that people, because the Bible says that thine they were, and thou gavest them to me. They were the fathers before they was the sons, and the father gave them to the son, and at that point of giving them to the son, he became their surety, their mediator, and from that point, he became the one representing them in all things. Well, brethren, that representation was a representation based on union. We were united to him. So everything that happens to that man is happening to these people. Why? Because we are in union. Just like Adam, everything that happened to that man happened to his wife. Because she was in him. All the blessings. And so this is an eternal thing. This is a, uh, this is a spiritual thing as far as this union with Christ. But look if you would there, it says... Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and after that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. We derive our natural life from Adam. The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, nor can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. That's one of the things that we inherit from our first father, Adam. As is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. The Bible says that that seed that remains in us is holy. Created in true holiness and righteousness. And cannot sin. That's what we get from our spiritual father, Christ Jesus. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. See, this tent that is on the outward that we got from the first Adam, it is going to dissolve and, and go away. It's going to perish. As a matter of fact, it perishes every day, right? The outward man perishes daily, but the inward man is renewed every day. The inward man continues on. The inward man is, is forever. It doesn't go. Why? Why is the inward man like that, by the way? Well, the inward man is like that because the inward man is eternal. That... That inward life that has been put in this outward vessel is eternal. That's why I've mentioned before that the people of God have a vital, eternal union with Christ and that life is in seed substance that goes all the way back whenever Christ was brought forth and we were given to Christ in union that was a true vitalness that just as much as Eve was in Adam, we were in Christ. But let me, let me do this. This is blow your mind. This, this blew my mind. 
Listen, we are as much united in Christ before the foundation of the world as Christ is in the Father. Jesus prayed, I pray that they are one with me as I am with you. Well, how much real is that union between Christ and the Father? That union is, is close because there's only one God. And Christ is the image of that invisible God. And Christ is the fullness of that God. So there is a one as you cannot separate Christ and God. There is no separation in that. Therefore, there is no separation between His people and Him. We are united to Him in a true living uh, life. The Bible says, <clears throat> uh, and again, I'm kind of getting way off track here, but in 1 Corinthians 15, we see that Adam uh, was not made spiritual, but Adam was made uh, natural, and all those who come from him come in a natural way. But Christ, who is the spiritual man from heaven, has a spiritual seed, just like Adam has a physical seed. Christ has a spiritual seed. So turn with me now to Psalms chapter 22. Psalms chapter 22. And I want us to look and see if that, if that principle of light begetting light follows... Uh, throughout Scripture. And is this a spiritual thing or is this a physical thing? Psalms chapter 22. And look at the wood down with me at verse 30. Now speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, A seed shall serve Him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. Now, that word generation there, as I've mentioned before, that word generation can mean different things. A generation can talk about a specific period of time, right? We have Gen X, we have Gen Z, we have the millennial generation, we have, all, you know, we talk about, the, and it's, a, it's a, a, an allotted period of time. I think, what is it, 70 years is considered a generation or something like that? Uh, I might be wrong on that, but anyway, so generation can be used for an allotted amount of time. Generation can be used in the way that it means to start or create or to begin, right? Generation can be that. Like if I generate energy, what is that? I create energy, right? Generation also can be used to specify a lineage, a posterity, if you would. My children are my generation. We begat them. They received life. In every one of my children is a substance of mine and my wife's life. The life of my children, and then their children's children, and their children's children's children, all will have the same derivative of life that came from me. But every one of us has that life derivative that goes all the way back to Adam. But whenever we're talking about Christ here, and this is what's in view here, it's talking about Christ having a seed, and it says a seed shall serve him. Now, remember, brethren, Christ Jesus never did marry. Christ Jesus never did have physical offspring, Right? I think we'd all agree to that unless you get off into some cultic books and cultic churches that might say differently. Okay? It, to much chagrin of a lot of people, Jesus didn't get 
get down with Mary Magdalene, okay? <clears throat> he didn't have a physical seed. So this seed that is being talked about, that is Christ, that's going to serve him, if it's not a physical seed, then what kind of seed is it? It has to be a spiritual seed. Because there isn't really nothing else, is there? It's either physical or it's spiritual. But it says here that this seed shall serve him, and it, that seed, the, that people in him, it says here, shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. This is his generation. This is his posterity. This is his children. That's what children are, right? It's, it is, a, is my posterity. My children are my posterity. My children are my generation. Okay? So here we see the Old Testament does teach a spiritual seed, a spiritual children, a spiritual people. And of course we've already learned that these spiritual people are the ones who are counted as the children of Abraham, the, the, the true Israel. Okay? It's these spiritual children. That are counted for the promise. Look if you would at Isaiah chapter 112. I'm, I'm sorry. Not Isaiah. Psalms 112. <coughs> we are going to go to Isaiah here in a few minutes though. Lord willing. Psalms 112. And verse 2. Well, let's start with verse Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Now, who is the upright? Well, there's only one person who is truly upright, as far as righteousness is concerned. Now, men in the, in the scriptures are called upright. I think Noah was called upright. Uh, Job was called upright. Uh, there may have been some other men in the scriptures that was called upright. But in that, in that sense, they were upright in the, way, in, the, in, the, in the fact that they honored God and they believed God and they followed after, uh, followed after God. They were upright in that way. But it, upright does not mean perfect or holy. And a lot of people say that Adam was created upright, therefore he was created holy. That word upright doesn't mean holy in the, in the sense that they are without sin, or without the ability to sin, or with perfection or righteousness, because the Bible says, and we can't let, I mean, this is where it comes down to, brethren, and I know I've got a lot of stuff going on in my head, and I hope it's not coming out in as convoluted a way as it feels. <clears throat> For somebody to, and I've just lost my train of thought. The the whole thing about uh, uh, the seed and it being a spiritual seed and the physical seed being a dichotomy is the fact that whenever the spiritual seed is being talked about throughout Scripture, it's always being talked about in a singular way. Notice it talk said that it was the generation of the Lord, not the generations of the Lord but the generation of the Lord. It was one thing. We are one body. We are one people. We are, we are the elect of God. And we are one fold. We are one uh, flock, right? So we see that all this is, is in a singular 
in a singular way. And I'm sorry, I, I lost my train of thought in what I was actually saying. But the upright, I was getting back to the upright. The upright, we have people that say that, you know, the upright is Adam without sin. But yet the Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. That all men hearts are evil continually. And some will say, well, wait a minute, that was after Adam sinned. That's after Adam sinned. Adam wasn't like that before and everything. Well, again, brethren, where did the lust come from? How was he drawn away and tempted if he didn't already have lust in him? Okay? So that uprightness is not talking about holiness and righteousness in and of themselves because the Bible clearly says there are none righteous. And I believe that included Adam. There is none righteous. There is only one who is righteous, the righteous one, and that's Christ. Christ is the righteous one. So any man who is upright, they are upright in a sense of walking before God in honor to Him, or it's talking about they are upright as it pertains to their imputed righteousness that comes from Christ alone. <clears throat> but it says here, His seed shall be mighty upon the earth, the generation of the upright. So I think this upright is talking about Christ. Because it says, His seed, Christ, the Lord's, His seed shall be mighty upon the earth, the generation of the upright shall be blessed. Who are the ones who was blessed in Christ? That's His generation, His seed, His people. Now turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 53. You've heard me say quite often that I love Isaiah 53. Isaiah is, is my favorite book in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53 is probably the quintessential, one of the quintessential, if not the quintessential chapter in all of Isaiah. In my opinion. It's all God's Word, so it's all profitable and good. Isaiah 53. Look with me, if you would, at 8, verse 8. It says, He was taken from... Now, remember, Isaiah 53 is speaking about Jesus Christ and His work as the anointed of God, as the Messiah, as the Christ, right? He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare His generation? See, that was the question that was being asked by Isaiah. If this Messiah is to come, this, this anointed one of God who is to be the Savior, to be the, the one who is to take away our sins, and He comes and as we learn here that He is going to be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities and chastisement of peace was going to be upon Him and that He was going to, by His stripes, heal everybody. If His death is coming then who's going to declare that generation? How, how is these people, this spiritual people, going to come forth that this man is going to die? How is his name and all the greatness of who he is going to happen? Who's going to declare his generation if this takes place? He says, Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit 
uh, in his mouth. Yet, and here it is in verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. That's us. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So we see here that uh, the, the generation of, of Christ will be declared. Why? Because he was bruised for their iniquities. See, he wasn't cut off out of the land of the living forever. Even though he was cut off from the land of the living, he was resurrected from the grave. He lives forevermore. And because he lives, we live. Because his life is eternal, our life is eternal. Now that's not talking about in a physical way, right? It's not talking about that. So the generation that is declared that is Christ is a spiritual generation. It is not a fleshly generation. Let's go back to uh, the New Testament and go to uh, 1 Peter. Now, <clears throat> this generation derives this existence, this spiritual existence, from a spiritual life. It's a spiritual life that we receive all of the blessings of Christ. See, it isn't a physical thing that we are in Christ Jesus, but it is a spiritual thing. The blessings that we receive in Christ Jesus are spiritual blessings. He hath blessed us with all physical blessings in Christ Jesus. Is that what Ephesians says? No, it says He has blessed us with all spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Matter of fact, keep your hand there in 1 Peter because I, I don't want to misquote this. But in Ephesians it says this. Some people say, well, that's, a, that's the determining mind of God. It's not actually before we was ever created and everything. But look what it says here. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, hath blessed, past tense, hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings, so not one was left out. Any blessing that we receive is a spiritual blessing, and that spiritual blessing was given to us in Christ Jesus with all spiritual <coughs> blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What kind of blessings? Spiritual. Where was it given to us? In heaven. How was it given to us? In Christ. But look how or on what grounds and when that blessing occurred. According as He had chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Election is the point in when we receive and are united with Christ. We are elected in Christ Jesus. We are elected and united to Christ. The election of God 
of a people <coughs> is when we were united to Christ Jesus and blessed. Whenever Christ was brought forth from eternity, and there are several verses in the Old Testament that we can go to that shows that Christ was brought forth from eternity, before the mountains were made, before anything was created, He was brought forth. Matter of fact, John 1, 1 says that in the beginning was God, in the beginning that uh, was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, same was that was in the beginning with God. He was with God. Christ was there with God from the beginning, in the beginning, before the beginning. He created all things. If He, as Christ, is the Creator of all things, then that means He precedes everything, right? So, hopefully, that that's enough to establish the fact that Jesus was brought forth from eternity. The election of the people of God and the uniting to them happened at that point. We were given to Christ. Now, what derives that union? It's a spiritual life, a spiritual seed. The life is in the seed. Every seed that comes, whenever that tree out there, that oak tree, whenever it drops a seed or acorn, down in that ground, and it falls into that ground, what does it do? It produces life. The life is in the seed. Unless a grain of wheat fall in the ground and die, it abideth alone. But what happens if it dies? There's life that comes out of that seed. Christ died and the life of the seed came forth, right? Christ died and the life of the seed comes forth. The Bible says that Christ stood as the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In Him was His seed. The Bible says in Him was life. That spiritual life came as a spiritual seed. That seed was planted. If you're a child of God, that seed was put in you. 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 Put in you. All those who are the children of God are children of God because they are a seed or a life from, or a generation, posterity from, the original source, which was eternal life. Colossians chapter 3, 3 says, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Where does our life come from? Well, our natural life came from Adam, so we can't say that it's talking about our physical life is hid with Christ in God. So what's that talking about? It's talking about our spiritual life. It's talking about that life that is not of this world. It's eternal life. The life that we have in Adam is just as the earthy is earthy, just as the natural is natural, and just as death passed upon Adam, death passed upon us, that physical life is going to end. But that spiritual life never ends. It began and it was always in Christ, and it's given as a derivative of life to each one of his children. And those children's life that was eternal as God is will continue on through eternity as we are made manifest 
Just like a harvest is made manifest of all the seed that was planted. Just as in that one tree was made and out of that tree all the other trees of the world came and all the seeds and all the fruit and everything that came from that, it, it, it was always there, but it had never been made manifest. The life of Christ was always there. The life of God was always there, but His spiritual children had never been made manifest. But now, we are being made manifest. His children are being manifest. The children of God are being manifested as God brings forth that life in His people. As He brings forth, as we are born of God, born from above, that life begins to manifest the children of God. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, the Bible says this, Being born again, not of corruptible seeds, so we're saying we're not talking about Adam's posterity here. Even though we are a posterity of Adam in the flesh, that's not what we're talking about. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. <coughs> we are born again of an incorruptible seed. That's what that second birth is. That's what that birth from heaven is. It's an incorruptible seed that is being brought forth. Now, there's only one who is incorruptible, and that's Christ. And therefore, his life is an incorruptible life. His seed that comes from that life is an incorruptible seed. And we are born of an incorruptible seed. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, which, by the way, that's not talking about the Bible or the gospel. That's talking about Christ himself. We are born again of an incorruptible seed, by the word of God, Christ, which liveth and abideth forever. How do I know that? Look at verse 25. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Who's preached in the gospel? Christ the word is preached in the gospel. It's not, this is, it doesn't say, but the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word of God, which by the word of God is preached unto you. It's, it's talking about Christ. Christ is the incorruptible seed, and Christ is the one who liveth and abideth forever. Does this word live and abide forever? Absolutely it does. But this word right here can't give life. This word right here, as one, uh, 2 Timothy uh, uh, 1, 9 and 10 says, this word here only brings life and immortality to light. This is the record and the testimony of life. It's not the giver of life. The giver of life is the incorruptible seed. The giver of life is Christ Jesus Himself. The Bible says that He's been given power over all flesh to give eternal life to as many as have been given to Him. Eternal life, the new birth, being born from above doesn't come from the preaching of the gospel. It comes from the uh, uh, soul work of the Holy Spirit coming upon the person and putting that seed that is eternal, that has been hid with Christ in God for all eternity, that seed being sown into the heart, being sown, or not, not sown in the heart, but sown into the vessel of clay, and that seed that is incorruptible being made manifest in this jar of clay, in this vessel of clay. 
That life was something that was already there and we are born not of a physical seed, but the children are born of a spiritual seed. So here again we see this generation, this seed, this people is a spiritual people, not a physical people. Look if you would at uh, uh, John chapter 17. John chapter 17 and verse 2. These were, or verse 1, These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son also may glorify Thee, as Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as, to as many as, that's a, that, that's a quantifier there, there, only as many as been given to Him. And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sinned. Jesus Christ is eternal life. And everybody that's given to Him is given to Him. And the reason that He's given to them is that they might know eternal life. That they have eternal life. Isn't that, isn't that in co, co, uh, coincide with what Paul preached in Corinthians when he said that we have been given the Spirit that we might know the things that are freely given to us? That we might know the power, his, that we might know Christ and the power of His resurrection. That's why we've been given the Spirit. That's why we've been given these things. And listen, we have been given eternal life so that we might know Him. That we might know who our Father is. My children are made manifest and they know who I am. How do they know? Because I have given them life. Look, if you would, with me. 1 John, chapter 1. One John, chapter 1, and if you would. Look at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Now, brethren, does anybody here think that that's talking about the Bible? That's talking about Jesus. We have heard, we have seen, we have looked upon, and with our hands have handled. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with... who? Wait a minute. That eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Now here we see that eternal life is, uh, uh, is, uh, is uh, given or personified, right? Eternal life is now personified in the man Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says that He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is life. Who was it that was with God eternal life? Is that not what that says? For the life was manifested, meaning that it's talking about that life which is in God was manifested, but how was it manifested? It was already there. It already existed but it was manifested. And how was it manifested? It was manifested in the Word of Life. In the man Jesus Christ. It was manifested 
And we seen it, we heard it, and we handled it. It was a person. And he says, For the life was manifested, and we have seen it. Matter of fact, that word it there is not in the original language. It's added for clarity of speech, but that would say we have seen, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write uh, we, uh, write we unto you, that your joy may be full. So here again, we have been given a picture of eternal life as it's personified in the man Jesus Christ. He is eternal life, therefore the life that is in Him is eternal, and therefore all the seed that comes from Him comes as a derivative of that first seed. It goes back to Genesis 1 again, that everything reproduces after its own kind. That everything has its seed in itself. Christ being a spiritual head, being a spiritual man, having a spiritual seed, producing a spiritual people, and that spiritual people make up a spiritual servanthood, and that spiritual servanthood serves in a spiritual kingdom. While you're in 1 John, look over chapter 5. Verse 11. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Now it says there, He that hath not the Son of God. It didn't say, He that believes not on the Son of God. It says, He that hath not the Son of God. Meaning that he that has not in possession the Son of God doesn't have life. Well, how do we have the Son of God? We have the Son of God in seed. That spiritual life that has been put in us. If I would say Zach, who is my son, if I would say, if you do not have Mike, you are not of him. He that has not Mike is not of Mike. That would be Daniel. Daniel is not of Mike. He's not my son. I wouldn't have a problem claiming him as one, but he's not my son. Zach's my son. Zach has that life derivative from me. Now we're talking about in the physical here. Okay? Same thing. That's what this verse is actually saying. He that hath the son dwelling in him and how do we have the Son dwelling in Him? We have the Son's Spirit. The Spirit of Christ dwelleth in you. It is Christ that is in you, the hope of glory. Christ indwells us. We are indwelt with Christ. You say, well, I thought we were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Trinity. You're saying the second person of the Trinity is in us. No, I'm saying God is in us, and it is Christ's Spirit that is sent and given to us 
Even Christ said that whenever He was going to send His Spirit as the Comforter, He turned right around after He said that. He said, I will send you a Comforter. Then He turned around and said, I will be with you. He said, I will come to you. Christ has come to His people. How has Christ come to His people? Because He is eternal life, and He has given that life to His people that God has given him from the foundation of the world, who is in that generation that is in seed substance before the foundation of the world, but is not made manifest in time yet. That's why he says there, he that hath the Son hath life. Why? Because we have eternal life who is Christ. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye might know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. We have eternal life. If that life is eternal, did it begin somewhere? No. That life is as eternal as the one who has the life. <clears throat> that oak tree out there that has life in it right now came from some acorn that fell from another tree that had life, that came from an acorn that had a tree that let it go, that had life in it, and all those has the same life as in the very first acorn. So that tree right there, the life of that tree is as old as the very first tree that first sprouted an acorn. You say, well, how can that be? That tree never existed back then. No, but the life that produces that tree has been as long as it's existed. And so as long as it's existed, that life of that tree has been in existence. Well, brother, let me ask you a question. If we have the Son and we have eternal life, which is the Son, then how long have we had, the children of God that is, how long have we had eternal life? As long as the original now, I'm not saying that we're gods. That's not what I'm saying, and that's what people want to say that I say. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the life that comes from the eternal one is the life that we had. And I don't think anybody in the world can contradict that because the Bible is very clear. The life that we are given as the children of God is not the physical life, but the spiritual life. And that spiritual life is very clearly said to be eternal life, and that life is in the Son. And so as long as there has been the Son, there has been life. And as long as there has been life, the children of God has been in Him. That, brethren, is eternal, vital, meaning it's real. That life is real. That life that is in Him in seed substance is real, and it is manifested in His time Frame to all of his people. And some will say, well, how can you do that? How can something that hasn't existed be considered something that's real? Well, let me say this. <clears throat> the Bible said that he loved us with an everlasting love before the foundation. Well, nobody has a problem saying that. Well, how did he love us then? How did God love something that didn't exist? Well, God's eternal and He sees down in the corridor. No, 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 no. He said He loved us with an everlasting love. A love that has been forever. 
The Bible says that we were His children and that, that we were the fathers and we were given to the Son. How did that happen if there wasn't a real relationship? If it was just in the mind of, well, it's just in the mind of God. Well, it's just in the life of Christ, is what I want to say. It's not just in the mind of God. Yes, God knew all those children that were His. Matter of fact, the Bible says that not only did He know them, He knew what their names were going to be. Not because of what their parents named them, but because he's the one that wrote their names down in a book. He wrote their names down. Whose names were written in the book of what? Life. Wait a minute. You mean there were certain people who were ordained to... Oh, wait a minute, that's Acts 13.48. All those who were ordained to eternal life believe. So there is an ordaining to eternal life. So God knew a people, wrote down their names, and ordained them that they would be the ones to receive what? Eternal life. How did they receive eternal life, and where did that life come from? That life that was ordained to be given to that person at that specific time that God chose, that life came from Christ Jesus. So, should we really be arguing whether or not that life is as old as Christ? Is that really saying something heretical? Saying something that's way out there, brother, that's way out there. No, that's just saying what the Scriptures have been teaching here all along. We have eternal life, and that life is in the Son. We are His seed. Now, is there any biblical evidence that seed substance is really anything? Anybody ever thought about that? Well, the Bible says that Levi paid tithes in Abraham. Levi was born a long time after Abraham was. But whenever Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, the Bible says Levi paid tithes unto Melchizedek through Abraham. How? Because Levi was in his loins. Now, we all know what loins means, right? I think we're all kind of grown up enough. We know that loins is talking about the, the, the reproductive areas of the body. Okay? He was in his loins, meaning that he was, he was in him in seed substance. Levi was in Adam in seed substance. Now, or excuse me, in Abraham. But let's go back. Let's take that back different. Do you think that there's anyone out there who calls themselves Christians who would deny that because we were in Adam that sin and death has not passed upon us? How, how is it that we have sin and death passed upon us? We didn't exist. We didn't sin initially. We didn't do any of that. Did we have a real life in Adam? Well, that's not real life. That's just by imputation. Well, wait a minute. Has not sin and death passed upon us in actuality, though? Has everyone who has come from the loins of Adam came into this world with sin and death? Absolutely they have. That is passed on. Matter of fact, the Bible says that those... <clears throat> people that had come, even that had not sinned in the transgression of Adam, 
They still had sin and they had death. They didn't sin after the similitude of Adam. But yet they had sin and death. Why? Because they were in Adam. And when Adam sinned and brought sin and death into the world, death passed upon all men. Why? Because Adam. They were in Adam. His natural, their natural head, their natural first seed. Well, brethren, is it any more crazy to say that all the spiritual life and all the spiritual things could not have existed in real union in Christ Jesus? Especially when there's so much here that says that that existed. Our life was hid in Christ with God. See, it's only, it's only hard for us to grasp these things and to just believe what the Scriptures say because we are so inundated with theology books, with professors, with PhDs, with, with traditions of men, with being grown up, being told certain things, and not looking and seeing or having the revelation of God. But, and it truly is revealed by God. It has to be revealed by God. It can only be revealed by God. But brethren, we have the Scriptures that teach us that, and if God is so kind to reveal them to us, it's there plainly in black and white. But the reason that we don't grasp those things is because, again, we go back to our default self that, well, if you're saying that, then you're saying that God predestinated all this. God predestinated the fall then that means God predestinated sin. Then that means God predestinated the devil to be the devil because the devil is the one who did the tempting. Then you're saying that God has predestinated everything, including sin and evil, and you're saying that Adam didn't have free will to choose. That's exactly what I'm saying. And that's exactly what this teaches. Now, that can hair lift the governor. I don't care. But I'm going to go with God and every man can be a liar. That's what the Scripture is saying. If you want to put me in a hyper-Calvinist category, you want to put me in a fatalist category, if you want to put me in a hardship category, or a heretic category, put me in whatever thing, put, give me the best. But brethren, I just, I can't, I can't go against what the Scripture says. It's just, it's there. This life is a derivative from the original, just like our natural life is a derivative from our original head, in the natural way. Therefore, it's a spiritual, we are a spiritual people, and we're dealing with things in a spiritual level. In uh, 1 John 5 and verse 11, this record that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Look at verse 20 of that same chapter. It says, and we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son Jesus Christ. And look at here what it says. This is the true God and eternal life. Who is the true God? Christ Jesus. Who is eternal life? And you say, well, that's a category mistake. You mean, what is eternal life? No, who is eternal life? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is eternal life. Therefore, eternal life is in Christ because He is eternal life. That's why we say 
in the Bible, the Bible says that God is love. It didn't, it didn't just say God loves. It said God is love. Love comes from God, is in God, because God is love. Christ Jesus is eternal life, therefore life in eternal is in Him, because He is eternal life. He has eternal life, and gives eternal life, because He is the very embodiment of eternal life. Eternal life is Christ, just as love is God, therefore God loves there we see, brethren, a clear picture that began with the very, very, very first chapter of the very first book. When God created all things, He set up the principle. Everything reproduces after its own kind with its seed in itself. And our natural head and our spiritual head have both reproduced after their own kind God is spirit. And he who worships him will worship him how? In spirit and in truth. Alright. That's all we have. I know that was convoluted and all over the place, but may the Lord give us clarity on it. Anybody got any questions or any comments or any corrections or rebukes? Challenges about it. I, mean, I, I keep looking at this. I was looking at this, uh, you know, after talking about this last week, and then looking this week. I even pulled down a, a couple old books and was rereading some things and everything, and re-looking at some stuff. And and I, I tell you, brother, and the Lord has just kind of made this more, more and more concrete in my mind. And the more people that challenge me on this whole spiritual people issue, this whole thing about eternal value union. The more they challenge me on those things, the more solidified I get in them. Because it causes me to keep looking, and the more I keep looking, the more I keep seeing. Over and over and over again. There was several other verses that I didn't get to, but hey, you know, it's all over the Bible. But again, I think a lot of times we're, we're blinded because of our presuppositions and our upbringings and what all the smart people, smarty pants, people say. And so... Uh, that's why I say with those books that I give you all today, read them with discernment because there's a lot of smarty pants things that are being said in there as well that sometimes don't necessarily line up with the scripture, but there's a lot of good stuff that's in there as well. But anyway, anyone got anything? Anybody got another song that you'd like to sing? Before we get out here. No? Alright, cool. Father, once again, we do thank you. We thank you for Christ Jesus. We thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the testimony of Christ and the work that He has done on our behalf. We thank you for the life that we have in Him. And Lord, we just pray that today that you just might encourage your people by the things that have been said. The Scriptures say, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. And Lord, we pray that each time we bring forth the Word of God, that it truly is a comfort to those and Lord, we just ask now that you be with us as we leave this place today, that you give us safety in our travels, uh, that you be with each of these brethren, Lord, and that you might continue to sustain them and keep them. Uh, Lord, that you might grow them in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this fellowship that we have together and the times each week to be able to gather in your name. 
and that we might speak on things concerning you. And Lord, again, we are so gracious, are grateful for all the graciousness that's been given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ for His death for us and the forgiveness of sin and for the life that we have in and through Him. And Lord, we just again ask it all in His precious and holy name. Amen.